This morning's sermon is going to be a little bit interesting in that in preparing each week, I oftentimes will read and research sermons of others to glean some of the tidbits and such that are they have. This week is different because I actually was led to not just share tidbits from another rabbi's sermon, but actually read his sermon with my own and adding my own comments that I was given in conjunction with it. So this is part Rabbi Mark Hillel Kunis and part Rabbi John Sue. I want to get proper credit where credit is due. This is something he wrote um, seven years ago actually. And the bulk of his sermon is two separate stories. Um, And I want to preface that because some of you may or may not know who uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach was. Uh, We actually sing some of his songs. He was a composer. He was a rabbi. He was a, uh, a wonderful musician. And some of the songs that we actually still sing today he is the one that put them out. So, in the words of Rabbi Mark, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, is a prominent participant on Pesach. He even has his own cup of wine at the Seder. He is even more prominent than Moses, who led the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. Moses is not even mentioned in the text of the Haggadah, except in one of the proof verses that magnify the power of the plagues. Moses is certainly not a prominent figure at the Seder. But Elijah is, because according to tradition, Elijah is supposed to descend from heaven and announce the coming of the Messiah right before he comes. In that sense, he is the harbinger of hope and redemption. In the meantime, folklore has it, Eliyahu fulfills another special function. There are countless stories of how someone shows up at exactly the right time to help another in distress and or danger, and then suddenly disappears. That someone, according to legend, is Eliyahu, Elijah. Now, in an article found in Connections magazine, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, before his death, writes about two stories describing the power of Eliyahu at two very contrasting satyrs. I'm going to read them, just as he wrote them. A few years ago, on the day after Pesach, I had the privilege of playing for Hadassah of New England. The concert was very beautiful, but the women were more interested in going to beauty parlors than they were in spiritual things. Sometimes you say something and you don't even know why you said it. I said to them, my dearest beautiful ladies, I don't know if you saw Elijah the prophet. To tell you the sad truth, I didn't see him either. But I swear to you, the children saw him. What a privilege to be mothers of children who saw Elijah the prophet. A very beautiful lady came up to me 
the way she looked, you wouldn't think she had any depth inside. But you never know. She came to me and said, Do you know what you just said? I can testify to it. My husband is a psychiatrist. Seder night, we have a little Seder. This year my husband calls me up on the phone and tell, to tell me, all this hocus pocus is getting on my nerves. Now, we have a little girl, Maxine. He said, Maxine will ask me four stupid questions and I'll have to answer. It's stupid. The whole thing makes no sense. Let's just eat dinner and that's it. So I said, you're right. I don't care so much either. About three o'clock in the afternoon, my little girl Maxine comes home. Her eyes are glowing with joy. She says, I can't wait for my friend Elijah the prophet to come visit me. Do you know Elijah the prophet is coming to see me tonight? I realize that I cannot do this to her. I call my husband in his office and say, listen, we have to have a little Seder because Maxine is so excited about it. He says, okay, we'll have a little Seder. She can ask the four questions. I'll mumble a few words, but that's all. My husband came home annoyed and said, Maxine, let's go. Ask the four questions. She asked them. He mumbled a few words and then we ate dinner. Then my husband said to Maxine, now go to sleep. You'll get to, you'll, so you'll get to school tomorrow on time. She said, Daddy, Elijah the prophet is coming to see me. This was too much for my husband. He said, we are not old-fashioned Jews who believe in fairy tales. We are modern Jews. We don't believe in fairy tales. Go to sleep right now. Little Maxine ran to the window. In her whole life, she never cried so much. I just hope that wherever this little Maxine is now, that she still waits for Eliyahu Hanavi. You know, friends, so many of our children are so holy. They are all matzah children, pure. Sadly enough, we put chametz into them. Our excuse is, we want them to rise. We want them to be higher, more civilized. That is not what we need. We need to be matzah Someone who knows the way it really is. The other story is this. And watch the contrast as it develops. <coughs> a few years ago, the Humanity Foundation had a big conference in Toronto to save the planet. Obviously, it was organized by a lot of Jews. It was during Easter, and they had special Easter prayers. Nothing for Pesach. The leader of the group was named Yossi Kohn. Gaval! As it so happens, Yossi is a good friend of mine. I said, Yossi, you respect every other religion except your own. We have two Seder nights. There will be thousands of people, many Jews. Can you do something for them? He said, okay, you do something. I played there that night of Bedikat Chametz, the night before Pesach. There were hundreds of kids. I told them about Bedikat Chametz, the searching for the Chametz, how holy it is. I invited them all to a Seder. Since I didn't know who was coming, we put up signs all over saying that anyone who wants to come to the Seder 
should buy a box of matzah and should bring hard-boiled eggs, enough wine for four cups, gefilte the fish, and one candle. I had to be home. This was in Toronto. And I had to be home to make a Seder first with my kids. From there to the Seder at the University of Toronto was about an hour and 20 minutes walk. I told them, I'll begin the Seder at 11.30. Well, I got there a few minutes before 12. And there was not a sound in the whole building. I walked up the steps and I thought, obviously, not even one person came. I want you to know, to my most unbelievable surprise, 1,500 people were sitting at the tables in complete silence. 1,500 people, people of every race, every religion, were there. As far as I was concerned, that was the highest Seder on the planet. The fire and the holiness, the readiness, were unbelievable. I explained the Haggadah as much as I could. Then we ate matzah, the egg, a little fish. We benched. About 3.30 a.m., we went out to greet Eliyahu Hanavi. I want you to know that there were 1,500 candles standing at the door until a quarter to five. I was telling Eliyahu Hanavi stories and all kinds of other things. Until this very day, I travel all over the world I meet people who tell me they were there at that unforgettable Seder. Eliyahu Hanavi does not knock on doors. A lot of us are waiting to hear a knock at the door. Sometimes one should wait to hear a knock on the door, but at great moments, you have to open the door first. Little Maxine had parents who refused to open the door for Eliyahu. Of Jew, for Jewish tradition, or for Torah, for that matter. One could only hope that somehow she will hear Eliyahu calling and find her way. At the Seder in Toronto, in the middle of the night, with 1,500 participants from every religion and walk of life, they not only opened the door, they went out to greet him for over an hour. Twenty years later, the power of that Seder still resonates in the souls of all who participated as it does to in us to who near, merely hear the story. That actually pretty much ended Rabbi Mark's sermon. First, it is an interesting contrast between the two. One family where the both the father and the mother were just, eh, we don't need this. It doesn't mean anything to us today. And the other one, 1,500 people anxiously standing and waiting to see if Eliyahu was coming in to their Seder. Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. He was arguably one of the greatest prophets in Jewish history as well as Jewish legend. We first read about Eliyahu when he prophesied to King Ahav that it will not rain until God allows it to happen. You know, later in that story, we find that uh, Elijah is out hiding because Ahab and Jezebel are looking to kill him. But we see that he also, during this time, performs a miracle for the widow and her sons. 
They have nothing left but this jar of oil. And in the process of praying for them, he also had them do something practical. And that was to get several containers and start filling them with the oil. As we know from reading the story, the oil miraculously stretched to several containers until they had no containers left, then the oil stopped flowing. But with all of that, the proceeds of the oil, she was able to pay all of her debts and to feed her family. Now we go further on talking about Eliyahu, and we find that there's a famine in the land that's become very severe. And God actually commands Eliyahu to confront King Ahab, the one that's seeking his life. So Eliyahu challenges Ahab to gather all 450 of the prophets of Baal to see who can bring rain. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, he says to the people, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Adonai is God, follow him. But if Baal is, follow him. But the people did not answer him, not even a word. Then we continue with the challenge, and we see that the false prophets got to go first. And we read the story, continuing in 1 Kings chapter 18, and they're praying all day long. No rain is coming. This is where we actually find one of the few places in Scripture where we see a little mockery come in. Because Eliyahu says to them in verse 27, Shout louder! After all, he is a god. Maybe he's in deep thought. Or relieving himself. Or he's off on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and must wake up. Then in beginning at verse 36 of 1 Kings chapter 18, after they were unsuccessful, and it was time, as we can read there, that it was time for the evening offering. How appropriate is that? Eliyahu calls out to God, saying, Adonai, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Adonai. Answer me, so that these people may know that you, Adonai, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of Adonai fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Adonai, he is God. Adonai, he is God. Immediately after this, after the fire came down and consumed everything on the altar, we see a small cloud. We read this further on in the uh, chapter. It starts to appear. And it's no bigger than a man's hand. And it appeared over the sea, and it soon came over land, and it was a very heavy rain. Who is God? Adonai. He is God. Baal and his 450 prophets don't have any power. 
Only Almighty God has the power. Then we find something later on that's quite interesting. Elijah and Elisha are walking along the road. And Eliyahu is taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire with horses of fire. And Elisha didn't see him again. See, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, was one of the few people ever to be taken up into heaven without first dying. We even sing a song about him at every Seder. We will be singing that next week. But surprisingly, many, not even I knew this originally, for generations, this song was, has been heard by children as a lullaby. And mo- many of you know it, but I'm going to read the words. Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu HaTishbi, Eliyahu HaGiladi. Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the Giladite. May he soon come to us with the Messiah, son of David. I didn't know it was a lullaby, but if you think about it, the tempo, the melody, it all does kind of lend itself to that type of a song. And we will sing it next week. We won't sing it as a lullaby. We're going to sing it as a testimony. So as... Rabbi Mark said, I will echo, Eliyahu is the harbinger or forerunner of the Messiah. He is the one that we read about last week in our Haftarah portion from Malachi chapter 3. Okay, if you're using a Haftarah scroll or the Tree of Life version, it's chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Any other version, it's chapter 4, which does not exist in the Haftarah scroll or the Tree of Life version. And it goes like this. Behold, I am going to send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, else I come and strike the land with utter destruction. Polish rabbi Menachem Mendel Morgenstern, who is better known as the Kotzker Rebbe, once asked a group of rabbis with where he was meeting, he said, where is God to be found? His answer after entertaining some of their responses is just as profound as it is intuitive. He said, God can be found wherever you let him in. Judaism insists that every human being can find a path to God. Jew, Gentile, religious, unreligious. We were all created in the image of God. We were each giving a neshama, an eternal soul, by God that yearns to cleave to Him. We just have to open the door and our hearts and let Him in. And he concludes with, Amen. Well, for one, I couldn't have said it any better. But to hear it from an Orthodox rabbi, to me, says a lot. So as we celebrate this season, this year, let's not forget what our Passover lamb, Yeshua, has done for each and every one of us.
Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank and bless you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for Yeshua who did die for our sin. We thank you that that salvation costs us absolutely nothing, but it cost you the death of your only son. And we're very grateful for that. We know that he became that sacrifice, a kapara, for our, the covering of our sins. And without that, we would not be able to approach you one-on-one as we can now. So we're grateful for your sacrifice of your son on our behalf. We don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly. Although it cost us nothing, it cost you greatly. Because you loved us so much. We are grateful. And Lord, as we continue through this week of unleavened bread, we pray, I pray that as each and every one of us denies himself of leaven and eats the matzah in remembrance, that we will be reminded of who Yeshua is, not just historically, but in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Let us come to that understanding in a way that we've never understood it before. Enlighten us, Abba. Teach us, lead us, guide us as we continue to do your will, to keep your Moadim, your appointed times at the times of the year that you designate. Let us not forget that you are God. And no one has the power that you do. Not the prophets of Baal. Not for, not us as individuals. But only you. But we call on you to work in us, through us, and with us. As we share your good news with a lost world that needs to hear about salvation that Yeshua brought. Thank you, Lord. In Yeshua's name.